0: Well, good morning, faith family. Morning. I want to say hello to those in our live venue as well. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Ruth chapter 4. While you're turning there, it is so great to be back at our faith family here at Berea, and it's good to be back in Minnesota. Uh, we got back a few days ago uh, from our mission trip in China, and what an amazing time that was. I think my digestive system has uh, readjusted. It's kind of like Peter in the book of Acts, you know, where he says, rise and eat. And I said, but Lord, it's water buffalo. And he said, uh, eat it anyways. And so who knows what all we digested, but it was an amazing, amazing trip. Uh, Amazing to see what God is doing globally, around the world, uh, among all peoples. And so we had a great time. Please come out tonight. To be a part of our Faith Family Celebration, we're going to share more about the China trip. Many of you have been asking, thank you for your prayers, by the way. So many have just shared, hey, we've been praying for you, and, and uh, the Lord really answered those prayers. So we'll share more tonight. We've got a ton of other important things to go over as a Faith Family. If you're a part of this Faith Family, you should be at our Faith Family Celebration every time it's offered, but particularly tonight. Uh, as we've got a lot of things to celebrate. I mean, aren't you excited? God is at work in this faith family. Like, it's so awesome to see His hand moving in the lives of people, and we're just going to celebrate that in a lot of different ways, okay? Uh, who's ready for more Ruth? Anybody? I, I'm, I'm beginning to get the feeling you like this book, All right. If you're new with us or you've been out for the last few weeks, we've been doing a series uh, through the book of Ruth called Hope Restored, and we're just trying to build you up, to encourage you, to remind you of the hope that you have in King Jesus, if you know King Jesus. And so no matter what goes on in life, it doesn't take our hope away, okay? And that's what we've been after, and so we're going to return to that this morning here at Ruth chapter 4. If you're able to stand, please do so as we're going to listen to the reading of God's Word, starting here at Ruth chapter 1, uh, reading down through verse 12.
1: Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman.
0: This is the word of the Lord. Would you please join me in prayer? Father, I'm I'm so excited this morning, you know my heart, because of the joy it is to preach your word, to teach these very words of life. I'm convinced, God, by your Holy Spirit, you breathed these out for us to give us life, I am so grateful to be a part of a faith family that loves Your Word, that loves gathering in places like this to hear Your Word, to study, to learn, to know more about Your heart that we might walk with You. This is a special time, a supernatural time, an important time in our lives as we gather for worship and as we gather under Your word. Would you teach us now by your spirit? If there is anyone here today in the authority of Jesus, if there is anyone here without hope, may today be the day they experience the hope of redemption. We ask it in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Peter Cropper was one of the most distinguished and accomplished violinists in all of Britain. This man played for royalties, very, very well known. In fact, in 1981, he's given a great opportunity to perform at the prestigious Kumo Music Festival in Finland. And on top of that, the Royal Music Academy grants him a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, a, an unbelievably significant gift. He's given the opportunity to play a 258-year-old Stradivarius. Now, if you know anything about violins, you know that the Stradivarius is like the top of the line, handcrafted, like 30 different types of varnish. The the process used to make these violins created a, a, a sound that is exquisite, a sound that is beautiful, a sound that is unrivaled by most violins. It is top of the line. They're some of the most valuable violins that you can have. In fact, this particular violin that Peter was given on this day uh, was one of the most valuable in the world. He was absolutely in awe at this opportunity. And so you can imagine the anguish and the horror that he felt when the unthinkable happened. Peter's walking out on stage at this prestigious festival all these people are gathered, this formal event. He's carrying this unbelievably valuable violin and he trips. He trips over an extension cord and not only does he trip, but he falls to the ground and he falls on top of the violin, snapping the neck into. It is completely shattered and and broken. He he is devastated. He goes ahead and performs the the, the concert with a borrowed violin, but after the performance is over, he is inconsolable. He returns to England and he is depressed. He's contacted by a violin dealer by the name of Charles Baer. Charles offers his service to restore the violin, but Peter in the Royal Academy assured Charles that there is no way this can be repaired. There is no way it will ever be restored to the way it was. It is beyond restoration. Listen, for the next two months, Charles Baird dedicated his time and his energy towards the restoration of that violin. For two months, Peter and the academy waited in great suspense to see how it would turn out. And when the time was over and he presented them with that violin, they were overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Peter was absolutely amazed because you couldn't even notice a single crack. It was in perfect condition. And not only were they astounded at the condition that it was in when Peter started to play it, it sounded more beautiful than it ever did before. And in just a few weeks, Peter would take his quartet, known as the Lindsay Quartet, and they would go on an international tour, night after night, playing beautiful music, listen, on an instrument that Peter once was convinced could never be restored. Can you relate Have you ever been there? I I don't mean with the shattering of a musical instrument, I mean the shattering of your hope. A marriage that seems irreparable, a a pain that seems inconsolable, a a loss that seems irreplaceable, a, a future that looks to be impossible. You have that season, that moment in life where you're convinced like Peter, it can't be restored. It's too broken. My life, my marriage, my future, it's, it's shattered to the point that nobody could put that back together again. But here's what Peter learned. He, he learned what we learn in the book of Ruth. It's an amazing formula. Time plus the hand of a master craftsman can bring full restoration. Do you believe that? That no matter how broken life may get, that time in the hand of a master craftsman can bring full And complete restoration. It is, dear friends, exactly what is fulfilled in Ruth chapter four. And in order for me to prove that to you, let me remind you, it's been two weeks, what's been taking place in the first three chapters that gets us to chapter four so that we know what's at stake. Remember in chapter one that hope is lost. Hope is gone in the darkness of moral decay. It's the time of the judges. That that hope is lost in the suffering of financial and economic hardship. It's There's a famine in the land. Hope is gone as they forsake God's promised land and they go to Moab. Hope gets buried under the heartache of death. Naomi loses her husband and her two sons. She is convinced she has no future, both for her or for her barren daughter-in-laws. It's why she says, go home to your mother's house. There is no future with me. And this life that was once full of hope is now empty with bitterness. Do you remember? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Don't you see? Life is too broken now. Life has been shattered. The neck has been broken into. Ain't nobody repairing this now. And we come into chapter 2, and they're eating crumbs from the barley fields, Ruth has gone out to glean. And then there's this little glimmer of hope as she meets a man by the name of Bohunk. You might know him as Boaz. He's a man's man. He's a dude's dude, and he's really, really nice and gracious to Ruth. He offers her abundant grain, and it is, when Naomi hears of it, an experience of God's chesed, His kindness to the living and the dead. Oh, and what makes this even better is the fact that he's eligible to be a redeemer. And so in chapter 3, Naomi and Ruth get a plan together. It's a very risky plan, mind you. A, a, a marriage proposal on the threshing floor. Hey, big boy, put your wing over me. Spread your garment over me. And then, do you remember when hope starts to build? Hope, hope is there again because Boaz says, yes, yes. And then it's gone. When Boaz says, "There is actually a redeemer closer than I," that's why we entered in chapter four with the question that's hovering. Here it is: Will the hope that's been shattered ever be restored? Will it? Can anybody put this back together? Verse one. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate, and he sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. You'll notice a pattern. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And they sat down. Boaz comes to the city gate. The the cities in the ancient Near East had real narrow roads, and so the the gate was the place of high traffic. It's a place where a lot of legal affairs would be dealt with because there there was room. And, And along comes this nearer kin, and Boaz says, sit down, boy, and he sits down. And then some of the elders are walking by, and he says, sit down, and they sit down. I wonder how that would go over if I did that to our elders. Just one time, I want to look at Tim Larson and just go, sit down, boy. And then he will drive me into the ground, all right? But here's the difference between me and Boaz. When Boaz says, sit down, you sit down. We learned in chapter 2, Chuck Norris does his laundry. This is a man's man. You may walk over, but you'll limp back. You mess with him, as Uncle Cy Robertson would say, it is on like Donkey Kong, Jack. You don't mess with Boaz. When he says, sit down, guess what? You sit down. Now, what's the author trying to prove? What's his point? His point is this. He's trying to show you, the reader, the resolve of a Redeemer, the resolve of Boaz. Remember, there are no chapter divisions when this story is written. And so chapter 4 verse 1 ironically comes right after chapter 3 verse 18. Let's look back at what happens there in chapter 3 verse 18. She replied... Naomi, wait, my daughter, that is Ruth, until you learn how the matter turns out for the man, Bohunk, will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Then what comes next? The narrator showing you Boaz actively addressing the situation. Do you see the author's intent? He's trying to show you the resolve of this man. Now, he shows it to you in another way that would be extremely easy to pass by, and I think makes a profound point. The author here compares Boaz with someone else. Look at the phrase in verse 1. You'll like this. In in verse 1 it says, So Boaz said... Turn aside, friend." What is that? Is that like the ancient Near Eastern equivalent of being at church and forgetting somebody's name? You know what I'm talking about, right? You see him coming and you're like, hey, brother. It's so good to see you, sister, right? Hey, buckaroo, you know, whatever. It's like, I can't remember your name, so I just throw something. I, like, oh, what's going on here? Do you not find it odd that the narrator who has been intentional with everybody else's name doesn't mention his? Do you find it odd that this is Boaz's relative and he doesn't know his name? Oh, he knows his name. Let me take this one step further by bringing out the Hebrew. You're going to be so glad you came to church this morning. Here is the Hebrew phrase in verse 1. It's poloni almoni. (laughs) Rhymes with baloney or John Oney, all right? (laughs) (laughs) Polony almoni, that's the phrase. It's literal meaning really isn't friend, it's such one. So the literal reading of verse would be, hey, such one, sit down. The modern speech would be, hey, Mr. So-and-so, what's the point? Right here in light of the situation that's going on here, here is a guy who's not even worth mentioning his name. He's not even worth bringing up. He's a Poloni-Almoni. And the narrator, hear me, wants you to compare the two, Poloni-Almoni and Boaz. In fact, it's a picture of how you live life. Now, this story has resolved mostly around women, rightly so, so I want to take a moment, since the author is doing this, and compare the men. But I also want to include another man who is key in the story, back from chapter 1, a man by the name of Elimelech, and I want us to see very quickly these three men and how they approached life. The first, if we looked at Elimelech from chapter 1, is what I would call active disobedience. Active disobedience. What does Elimelech do? He forsakes the people of God. He turns his back on the law of God. He turns on the plan of God. He doesn't care how his sin will impact the lives of others. Right here. He doesn't care about the consequences of his actions. He only cares about the comfort of his circumstances. He is a man that is driven by the appetites of the flesh rather than faith in God. And it is blatant. He knows what he's doing. He is on a path of disobedience and he doesn't care even though it's going to end up in his death. There is a young man even in this service right now. I, I love the man dearly. I'm not going to call his name out. I don't want to embarrass him. He came some time ago in our Jonah series that we looked at the runaway. At that point in his life, he was a runaway. He has been on fire for Jesus ever since as God got a hold of his life and turned his life around. Some of you this morning are just like a You are running in the wrong direction and you know it and the word of God through this messenger of God to you is repent and come home. You are headed down the wrong road and it is going to end up in death or destruction of some kind. Olimelech, turn around and come into the arms of a father who will welcome you this morning. It is active disobedience. Then what does Mr. Poloni-Almoni teach us in terms of how we live life? He is what I would call passive disobedience. Passive. What, what, what is that? Here's the thing. The problem with Poloni is not what he does. It's what he doesn't do. He has been given responsibility and opportunity and he's nowhere to be found. He's not doing anything. Let me remind you of what James chapter 4 verse 17 says. So whoever knows this is convicting. The right thing to do and fails to do it for him it is what sin. In other words, this will preach, sin isn't simply doing what's wrong, it's not doing what's right. You can be like Elimelech and blatantly be living in disobedience, or you can be like Polonia Almoni and just passively be do nothing in your life that counts for the things of God. Well, let me give you some examples. I think this will be helpful but maybe convicting, it certainly is for me. It would go like this, you're not actively seeking revenge, you're just refusing to forgive. That's sin. You're not actively wanting people to spend eternity separated from God. You don't actively want that, you're just refusing to share your faith. You're not actively trying to be a stumbling block or a hindrance to the mission of God. You're just refusing to give or serve sacrificially. Do do you, do you see? You're not on a pilgrimage to Moab. You've just settled for mediocrity. And the one gear Christianity doesn't have is neutral. And in that sense, it's not even worth mentioning his name. It is sin to be a polonialmoni spiritually. And you have been given opportunity. And you have been given responsibility. And you do nothing with it. That is sin. There is active disobedience. There is passive disobedience. And then the third and final category that we see in Boaz is active Obedience. It is, I think, the author's intent of these first two verses to show us the active faith of Boaz. He is not perfect, but here's his resume from what we know in just a few chapters. Number one, he cares for his employees and he treats them right, chapter two. He shows generosity to a Moabite, chapter two. He doesn't take advantage of Ruth sexually on the threshing floor, chapter 3. He is willing to redeem her when it's not even his responsibility. Do you know what Boaz never says? It ain't my job. If it needs to be done, he'll do it. And when we come to chapter 4, he's doing, here's a light bulb moment, he's doing what he promised he would do. Do you see? i, I got to ask you, when you look at your life, teenagers, when you look at school, when you look at your job, when you look at your relationships, who are you? Active disobedience? Passive disobedience? Or active obedience? Learn from the resolve of Boaz to live the right way. Man, that's that's convicting. But the author doesn't just want you to see the resolve of Boaz as he compares these two. He then wants you to see the readiness of a redeemer. Boaz is going to show us that he is the ultimate redeemer in this story. He's the greater redeemer in the story of Ruth. Why? Right here, right here. Because he's willing to do what nobody else is willing to do. He's willing to sacrifice what no other Redeemer is willing to sacrifice. He's willing to pay the full price. Verse 3, Then He said to the Redeemer, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab. She's selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought that I'd tell you of it and say, buy in the presence of those sitting here in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it and I come after you. So here's what happens. Boaz has already shown his resolve by saying, sit down, we're dealing with this today. I made a promise, I'm gonna fulfill that promise. Then he says, here's the opportunity before you to redeem Naomi in the land. Hey, Polony, such one, so-and-so. Here's the deal. There's a really great piece of property at a really great price on Lake Minnetonka. I mean, it's beautiful. it make a great parsonage for a pastor. I mean, any <laughs> pastor… I have one in mind, but maybe you do too. I'd be a great parson. This is an amazing piece of property. It's got a swimming pool. It's got a, a basketball court. It's got tennis courts. It's got a garden. It's got a vineyard. It's got a, 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 a boat slip for your boat. It, it is. It's awesome. There's only one little other thing you need to know. There's a bitter old woman who lives upstairs. She comes with the house. You in? Let me think about it. Let's see. Uh, It is an amazing piece of land. I've always wanted to have a lake home. Um, The thing with Naomi is she's well past childbearing years, so when she dies, I'm going to be able to keep it all to myself. So here's my answer, Boaz. Last phrase, verse 4. Then he said, I will redeem it. Answer, sold. Sold to Poloni Almoni. He's going to buy it. It is now all his. And as a reader, if you've been tracking with the story, you're thinking, no, 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 no. What about Ruth and Boaz? Boaz, what was all this one in a million talk? You're supposed to be a redeemer. You're supposed to, like, stand up and do something. This this is like the worst ending of a story ever. And if it's a TV series, those three famous words come up on the screen. To be continued. Don't you hate that? No, I can't wait till next week. It's not how it's supposed to end. Don't you see the narrator loves playing with you? He, he, he's been playing with you the whole time. The famine's over. What's going to happen? Boaz meets Ruth. Is there something there? Ooh, there's a closer kin. How's that going to turn out? And now, Mr. Poloni, Mr. So-and-So, Mr. Nobody is the hero? Not so fast. Give Boaz a little bit more credit. He has cast out the bait. And now it's time to set the hook as he reads the fine print, verse 5. Boaz said the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. Oh, I forgot to mention that the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Oh, I am so sorry, Mr. Poloni. Not only is it a great piece of land, and yes, it's got a bitter old woman that lives upstairs. She comes with it. But you also have to take a Moabite, a young Moabite named Ruth, You know, the Moabites, the people that worship the the false god of Chemosh, uh, you know, they're like the Green Bay Packer fans, those people, you know, it's like, you know, it's one of those. You know I love you, right, in Jesus' name, right? It's, It's a Moabite, and not only is she a Moabite, guess what? She's young. And if you don't marry her, I will marry her, and if there are descendants, guess what? All this goes back to them. So here's your deal, big boy. Buy it all now, change some diapers, pay tuition, and then give it all back for free. And his response? Not going to do it, right? Verse (laughs) 6. That is a terrible impersonation. Don't laugh. The Redeemer said, I cannot, you should put there, will not, because he could five seconds ago, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. In other words, I was all for the redemption until I realized it was going to cost me. That'll preach. What is the author trying to show you? Not just the resolve of a redeemer. Look at Boaz taking action. He's trying to show you, will you go all the way? See, the point here is this. Please, please hear this. A true redeemer is willing to pay the price. A true redeemer will do whatever it takes to redeem Faith family, I love you. There are all kinds of imitation redeemers out there in your life and in this world promising you things they will never be able to deliver. They will kill you. They won't be killed for you. Only one redeemer has done that. You see, Boaz is pointing us here to the ultimate Redeemer, the one who paid the ultimate price for your redemption, the one who did whatever it required to purchase your redemption. It, but, but there's another side to this redemption story. It's not just from the provider that a true Redeemer goes all the way, but but to receive redemption, you have to be willing to embrace the cost. It, Here's the point I'm trying to make. Mr. Polony misses out on the redemptive story of God through Ruth because he was too much in love with his own life. I wonder if there's some of you who will miss out on the kingdom of God because you are too in love with the kingdom of man. And think about that in light of what Paul says. Do you remember what Paul says? I count it all as loss that I might gain the surpassing value, the surpassing knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything this world has to offer is rubbish in light of Christ. It's sad when you won't have your name written in the Lamb's book of life because you had written it all over the world. Oh, dear friends, don't miss out on the redemption story of God because you're not willing to sacrifice what you cannot keep in order to receive what you cannot lose. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? The author is showing you here a redeemer with resolve and a redeemer that is ready to pay the price and go all the way. And then here's the final point the author is going to make here and then we'll come back next week. And it's, it's this. Restoration finally occurs through redemption. Through redemption. Look at verse 7. Now this was the custom in the former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. One drew off his sandal, gave it to another, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, "Buy it for yourself," he drew off his sandal. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, "You're witnesses this day that I have bought from the land of from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech." All that belong to Kilion, to Malon, that Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Melon, I've bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. The name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Now here's the climax, and we're going to come back here next week, but, but oh, I want you to feel this. We, we, we enter into this chapter with that hovering question of what? Will the hope that's been shattered, will the hope that's been broken too, will it ever be restored? And in this moment, it all comes together. All those glimmers of light, do you remember that were shining through the clouds? A little glimmer here, a little glimmer there. Now in this moment is shining bright. The sun has risen and it is blazing in full view because the darkness of death, the fatigue of famine, the bitterness of brokenness, the despair of doubt, the hope that had been shattered into pieces has now been restored. How? How? How, how has this all been brought back together? How has this all been restored? Through one single act of redemption. Redemption is what brings this all back together. And that's not just true for Naomi and Ruth. That's true for us as well. How does God bring light into our darkness, joy into our sorrow, hope into our despair through one single act of redemption? Hallelujah. In fact, Ruth 4 is screaming, louder than I'm screaming, to the gospel. This, verses 7 through 10, one act of redemption has all kinds of parallels to the ultimate act of redemption that is our hope. Don't get nervous, but I have 10. I'm just going to let that settle. Yes, I have 10. And if this doesn't get you excited, I I don't know what to do. This is the greatest news in the world. How does this one single act of redemption in Ruth 4 point us to the ultimate act of redemption that is our hope forever? This act of redemption reminds us that redemption is a necessary act. This story doesn't end well without redemption. Brother, sister, every eye right here. Your story will not end well without the redemption of Jesus Christ. It is necessary for your hope. Number two, this act of redemption points us to the fact that redemption is a solo act. There can only be one Redeemer in this story. Boaz is saying it's either you or me. There cannot be two. Can I just tell you what the gospel tells us? There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by Him. Redemption is a solo act. His name is Jesus. This single act of redemption in Ruth 4 reminds us that redemption is also a sovereign act. Who does all the work? Boaz! Ruth can't redeem herself, and neither can you. The Bible says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. Listen, this is not of your own doing, it's a gift. Receive the gift today, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. This act of redemption in Ruth 4 reminds us that redemption is a legal act something's got to be paid it's why poloni backs away from the deal he doesn't want to pay the cost listen your sin my sin demands payment the wages of sin is death and the cross is the legal receipt that you've been purchased forever hallelujah This one act of redemption in Ruth 4 reminds us that redemption is a loving act. It's not just legal. Why is Boaz willing to go further than the other Redeemer? It's not law. It's love. Do you realize that the cross stands as the reminder of God's love for you? God so loved the world, He what? Gave His only Son. Christ so loved the church, He gave Himself for her. You, oh, wallow in this amazing truth, are deeply loved by your Redeemer. This single act, I'm just getting warmed up, this single act of redemption points us to the fact that redemption is also an undeserving act. Ruth, might I remind you, is a Moabite. She doesn't deserve this act of redemption. Might I remind you that the Bible says it was while we were yet sinners that Christ died. You do not deserve redemption, but Jesus gladly offers it to you. This act of redemption reminds us that redemption is a public act. It had to happen in the presence of witnesses. Might I remind you, oh, glorious truth, that the cross is a public display of affection. Jesus died in front of the eyes of the world so that the world would know that redemption is found in him. This act of redemption reminds us that it is a costly act. Boaz is willing to give up everything to take Ruth in. And might I remind you, please hear this, might I remind you that what it cost for your redemption was the precious blood of Jesus. You want to talk about valuable, the very Son of God, broken, shattered, so that you would be redeemed. It has an infinite cost. It ought to amaze us at such love. This single act of redemption reminds us that redemption is a final act. We don't all understand what this whole exchange of a sandal meant other than once it happened, it was finished. There would be no reversal. And may I remind you of those Precious words that Jesus said on the cross that it is finished. Jesus died once and for all for our sins. This is true of you if you know Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This single act of redemption finally reminds us that redemption is a hopeful act. I take it from the fact that Ruth and Naomi, they have no future without this act of redemption. And may I remind you, dear friend, neither do we. Where would we be? Where would we be going? What would eternity be like if not for Christ? You got hope, brother hope sister you have hope because you have a redeemer who has purchased a living hope for you an inheritance that is being kept that will be revealed to you one day What is the good news of the gospel? I'll tell you the good news of the gospel. We have a redeemer that was resolved to redeem. We have a redeemer who paid the price for our redemption. We have a redeemer who through one single necessary, solo, sovereign, legal, loving, undeserving, public, costly, and final act, restored our hope forever. That's the good news of the gospel. That's why I say it is the greatest news in the world. But do you know it? Do you know it? And I'll tell you I'll tell you faith family uh Naomi and Ruth like Peter that they could tell you that when When you've lost something so precious, when you've seen something so valuable shattered, it's easy to give up hope. It is so easy to say that will never be repaired. I will never be repaired. But can I tell you what they learned? Can I tell you what chapter 4 teaches us? Time in the hand of a master craftsman, a master redeemer, can and will bring full restoration. Place your brokenness this morning in His hands. If you do, I promise you this. Your life will play music again. And it will be beautiful. And it will even sound sweeter than it ever did before. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Let's pray. Every head is bowed, every eye closed. We're going to have a time of response in just a moment. There are some of you here this morning like Elimelech, you need to repent because your life is marked by active disobedience. This morning, today, come home. Come home. Some of you like Poloni, you're just... You think neutral is a gear and you're trying to coast. And you need to understand that sin The Lord has given you responsibility and opportunity. Others of you may be like Naomi. Everything's been shattered. The future looks hopeless. And you need to be reminded of the power of Jesus through redemption that He can and will restore your life. And maybe you just need to place yourself in His hands this morning and let Him begin that work of restoration and repair. Father, I don't know what every heart needs here this morning, but I do know You do. And so I pray that uh, we would respond, that we would feel Your presence, your, Your very Spirit speaking to us, and we would step out in faith and act. My fear is there'll be polonies this morning who've heard the word and they'll do nothing with it. I pray that not be the case. I pray against the enemy that you would fight that off and that we would activate the very thing you've called us to do. May we step out in faith. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. We're going to.